Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 482 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, January 29th, 2023, and Duke now owns an absolutely lopsided, out-of-control victory against an ACC opponent. So we are here to talk about it. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you from my old, old home city, uh, Denver. I'm out in Colorado this week. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. They both appear to be at home. Jason, I know, was at the game, so I'm going to, to start the hellos with Donald. Donald, how are you doing this morning? I'm a little tired. Uh, I took a red eye last night. As you guys know, I was in L.A., uh, for the week for the U.S. men's national team games and uh, took the red eye last night. My eyes don't appear to be red, but my body is tired. Um, my body is still in Pacific time. But I loved getting to back, so I need – because we have to talk about this game. It was a really, really, really fun game to watch. Absolutely. And Jason Evans was in the building yesterday for this one. Uh, Jason, I know you're going to tell us a lot about what it was like in there. And we have some post-game audio, but just very quickly this morning, uh, how are you How are you feeling after your trip to Georgia Tech? Maybe actually, if you want to start with any uh, any DBR podcast fan encounters you may have had yesterday. Yeah, I, I had a few, uh, and we love this stuff, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I was disappointed that more folks didn't come by the varsity to, to say hi. There was all these people who emailed and said, oh, I want to say hi, I want to say hi. And I was like, hey, I'll be at the varsity. Uh, but, uh, Craig Houseworth did show up along with his brother-in-law, who's, uh, who's a little bit more of a Carolina fan, um, uh, than a Duke fan, but the, uh, the two of them, we had a really great time. They're, they're both actually a little older than I am. And so we were talking about like 1970s and early 1980s Duke, Duke kind of stuff and, and ACC memories. It was real. It was great. I mean, I, I had a really, really nice time with them. And then there were other Duke fans that I ran into at the game. Uh, it, it's always fun. This community of Duke fans is really it, we're we're tight. We all we all share a great love of something, and the Duke fans really showed out for the Georgia Tech game. They they said officially that the stadium was like 85 percent full. I don't think that was. I think that may have been you know tickets that were sold that some of them weren't used. It looked to me like it was more like two thirds or so full, which is not a good look for for Josh Pastner and the and the uh, Georgia Tech program, and of the you know, two thirds to three quarters of the stadium that was full, probably a third of that was Duke fans. There was a lot, a lot of blue in that stadium. And I'm sure you guys could tell when Duke would do something good, there'd be a, a lot of cheering and you could, it was a lot louder. It seemed yeah. like for the Duke fans, but also there weren't many opportunities for Georgia tech fans to cheer in this one. No, so not. <laughs> the, uh, the final score lends itself really nicely to headlines. I think today, Final score in this one, Duke 86, Georgia Tech 43. So I collected the listener headlines, but Jason, I'll let you take yours first. Give me your headline from this game. Yeah, I, I took the easy way out. Uh, my headline is double domination. Duke stings Yellow Jackets. I dig it. Donald, what'd you have? I have Duke gives Georgia Tech an historic buzz cut. Ooh, I like buzz that. Cut. I like that. I like that. Yeah, we we uh in in the in the historic category, I saw in Jim Sumner's newsletter uh right up last night that the 43 point margin of victory is the second biggest Duke margin of victory in an ACC road game. They had one in 1999. Uh they beat Virginia 100 to 54. 
which is just an ast- also an astounding number. It's also very funny to think about scoring 100 points against Virginia. Just like that, that doesn't really, it doesn't really happen anymore. Uh, I had one that was almost exactly the same as a listener headline, and then he improved it for me. So I'm going to take Jason Wilkinson's submission, which is unbelievable. Duke doubles up jackets by 43. Uh, I I had, I had something that was a little bit, uh, a little bit less funny with, I didn't have the unbelievable. That, that uh, makes I also, it. That, that's, that's why that, that's a great headline. I also uh, was thinking about going with Christian Reeves and Jaden shoot star in ACC debut for Duke, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go with that one. Wait, so okay, guys, actually I've got a nice Christian Reeves story from, from this game, believe it or not. And this is, there, there are a few things I'm going to tell you over the course of, of our conversation that are observations you could only have if you were at the game, because they weren't on TV. I know that these were not on TV. So there was a really funny moment. Uh, it was, oh, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, God, it was, Uh, It it was early in the first half, and I don't remember the exact minute, but um, Kyle Filipowski – oh, yeah, Kyle Kyle Filipowski was shooting free throws at the opposite end of the court. The score was 6-2, to and Tech, on their previous time down down the floor, the way the ball had gone through the net, the net had gotten a little bit tangled. And so as Flip is getting ready to shoot his free throws, Christian Reeves comes out on the floor to fix the net. I mean, it, you know, it's a dead ball, but the net needed to be fixed. And so he comes out. He did, By the way, he did flat-footed. He just reaches up and, and fixes it flat-footed because Christian Reeves is that big. And he goes back. And as he goes back to the bench, Stanley Borden stands up and gives him like a huge high five. And he's like, you know, it was like <laughs> Christian Reeves had just, you know, dunked on someone's head and, and it had been a big play. And Stanley Borden did here just like. And so I was on press row. I was sitting next to Steve Wiseman, the brilliant uh, Duke beat reporter for the news and observer, just a, a, a great guy. And Steve and I were chatting throughout the whole game and we both just started howling with laughter. It was just really funny. The whole way this came out. And, St- and Steve and I said to each other, we're like, who had Christian Reeves on the floor before the first TV timeout. That's a big shocker <laughs> in this game. The hysterical thing is Christian Reeves ended up playing his second most minutes in a game this season, but it was foreshadowed by him appearing on the floor in the, in the first three minutes. <laughs> I love this one. All right. So let's talk uh, now that we've done the headlines, let's go through the good. And I, I imagine gentlemen today that the good will outstrip the bad in our, in our minutes taken on this show. So uh, Jason, give me your good first. And, and if you want to make it sort of a general thing about, about Duke's play in, in this building, or if you wanted to highlight any of the players who had outstanding performances yesterday, uh, take it in any direction that you'd like. So uh, my good is the offense, the defense, the bench, and the starters. <laughs> special teams. Don't forget special teams. That seems that seems comprehensive. Yeah, right. Uh, there's there's almost nothing bad you could say about this game. In terms of good, I'll start with this. I'll start with the big men. Uh, Derek Lively. I, one of the things I noted right off the bat, as they were you know coming out on the floor for the opening tap, I was like I was like, whoa, Derek Lively's back in the starting lineup. Uh, and, and, you know, Ryan Young had been there for a little while. They've they've traded it on and off. But to me, it means something that Lively was back in the starting lineup for this game. And and by the way, later on, we will get to uh, I asked John Shire in the postgame press conference about the fact that Derek Lively was starting. And, and we can get to that a little bit later on on this podcast, probably after the break or something like that. Um, but uh, the fact that Lively was starting was significant. And he immediately I thought Derek Lively immediately showed why. Um, 
he 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 was getting offensive rebounds in a way that he really hasn't this season. His re- this was his best rebounding game of the year, I thought, by by a long stretch. He had ten rebounds. Um, he was showing more strength than he has. There were a couple times he put his hands on the ball at the same time someone else put their hands on the ball, and he ended up wrestling it away. That's just not that's not something we've seen from Derek Lively very much this year at all. And most of the offensive rebounds that he got, a lot of them turned into buckets for Duke very quickly. I thought both he and Kyle Filipowski were absolutely intimidating on the inside. Georgia Tech looked afraid to go in the lane. Most of what Georgia Tech was trying to do was on the perimeter because the few times they would venture into the middle, it was it was big trouble for them. And the fact that Lively and Filipowski were able to do that while not fouling is a big deal for Duke. Uh, just really quick stats, and then I'll let you guys talk more about the big men. Duke won points in the paint 44 to 12. I'm going to repeat that. 44 to 12 on points in the paint. That's just that's a ridiculous number. The rebounding margin, Duke wins at 43 to 22. There were moments in the second half where literally every possession was a basket by Duke, and then Georgia Tech would come down and miss a shot, and Duke would immediately get the rebound. And I turned to Wiseman several times, and I'd like, we're getting every rebound. We're getting every rebound. I must have said that like nine times to him. And then the last one, you know, related to all these offensive rebound, Duke wins second chance points 14 to 6. I'm a little surprised it wasn't a bigger number than that. I saw, thought Duke had more second chance points than 14. But, boy, I just thought our our, our bigs dominated them. And and in the postgame press conference, uh, Josh Passner, the Georgia Tech coach, must have used the word overwhelming size. And he must have talked about the fact that his team looked small and Duke looked big. Like literally in the in the first minute, his opening statement was all Duke was so much bigger. Duke is so much bigger. We couldn't handle their size. He just said it again and again and again. The other thing about this, Jason, that is so promising to me. I mean, look, we know that Georgia Tech is not the biggest, strongest, toughest team that Duke is going to face in the conference. But the fact that John Shire inserted Derek Lively into the starting lineup for this game. And and when I turned it on, I thought, okay, interesting. Uh, we know that Lively, is st- it still feels like he's he's figuring it out. And then he has such a good performance tells me that whatever John Shire is seeing in practice is clearly coming out on the floor. Not only was Lively more dominant on the rebounding, but he also looked a lot more comfortable on offense. Uh, he makes his first three-pointer of the season in this game. And generally, he he's not like, if he's getting the ball 12 feet from the basket, he's not immediately like, just handing it off to somebody to go wait around for the dunks. Not that there weren't dunks. There were plenty of, of really pretty alley-oops that, that Derek Lively was on the receiving end uh, yesterday, but, but he seems a lot more comfortable on the floor. And to your point about his defense, it's the, his shot blocking anticipation has gotten a lot better. And it seems like he's, he's taken cues from somebody about how to be a more effective rebounder. Like you said, uh, putting his hands in the right places and also uh, being stronger with the basketball. So I, I think that that development is great for Duke. And hopefully it means that lively is getting a lot more comfortable 24 minutes. He plays yesterday, uh, which I don't know if that was his season high, but it, if, if it wasn't, it was very close to it. So I, I love to see that development and Duke just didn't need the, the typical Ryan young game. Although <laughs> young does still manage to score 10 points in this one while only playing 10 minutes, which is uh pretty remarkable. You know, you pointed out the 24 minutes. He, he played the first seven minutes of the game 
and I remarked I, on press row, I said, I said, he just played the first, that, that seven minutes might be his longest consecutive stretch in any game this season. And then the other thing you mentioned the three pointer. So in the second half, there was a moment where uh, Duke got a lob to lively and he had a vicious dunk. And then the very next possession lively took a three pointer. And, and Steve Wiseman says to me, he goes little heat check here from lively after the dunk. And I'm like, you don't, you don't go from a dunk to a heat check three. That's just not the way it's supposed to work. But that was but hey, he made game. one. He made one in this game. Um, oh, right early. But I'm saying the second one, the one he missed was right after. Yeah, the one he missed we that was laughing. We're like that's the that was that's supposed to heat check like that. But but then he followed up the next the next play with another alley oop. So it was like three plays in a row where he was trying to insert himself into the game, and I thought that was great. I I want to talk a little bit about the defense because if you think about our offensive output, right, we scored 43 points in each half. If we had taken the first half or the second half, and just done that for the whole game, we would be going to overtime because that's how few points Georgia Tech scored. They scored 43. And I, I think the thing I liked about our defense was that we weren't really going for a lot of steals. We were going to, to alter shots. And it it showed on the in the offensive front when in the backcourt, we have uh, six blocks, three of them by Derek Lively. Guys were outstretched everywhere, even on three-pointers. Like Derek Lively's out challenging three-pointers. Because he wanted he wanted to alter them, and he knew that we had the size underneath to get the rebound and go the other way. And we were effective on offense because of the fact that our defense was spurring a lot of that energy, and especially on the road. Jason, you mentioned you could tell that there were a lot of Duke fans in the building. It kind of felt like like a mini Cameron, like not all the way Cameron, but at least enough where guys were hearing that energy and feeling it, and knowing that the defense is going to kind of you know, spur that on. And so watching the game and seeing how our defense affected our offensive output was great, but also just the fact that, I mean, Georgia Tech scored 18 points in the second half. It was over by like that's, you know, under eight mark, or I'm sorry, the under 12 mark where we had gone in a 32 to five run. It's at that point, it's demoralizing. And, and the fact is we kept shooting, we kept making baskets and we kept feeding each other through the defense. So I really like that. The other thing that I noticed on defense is that Duke wasn't switching as much. We talked recently about how uh, Duke seems to be struggling a little bit with picking up on all the defensive cues that they're supposed to get in these games. So I thought it was interesting that Duke was was running through screens more on defense than they were like switching them all. I do wonder if that's, again, a result of, of Georgia Tech not being a high-flying offense and and so Duke feeling like they can kind of recover and, and that Tech is not going to set the kinds of screens that Duke is going to see from its best opponents this season. But uh, it was effective, like you said, Donald, and, and, and Georgia Tech, like they were saying on the broadcast, uh, Georgia Tech runs this sort of Princeton-style offense where they're going for those backdoor cuts. They're, they're, they're not like, they're not relying on as much like dribble drive and Duke was able to stay in front of those balls a lot, which prevented Georgia Tech from getting easy baskets. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Sam. Uh, from from the vantage in the press box, you're kind of, just so folks know where you are at Georgia Tech when you're in, in the press box, we're, we're sort of right above the basket that Duke was defending, you know, that Duke was defending in the first half and that Duke was attacking in the second half. So I had a, a, a really great view of exactly how Duke was playing defense in the first half. And you could see Georgia Tech trying to backdoor again and again and again. It's it's really, you know, from that eagle eye kind of view, you can really get a great glimpse of exactly what's happening there. I think better than you see it on TV. And I saw 
tech again and again, you know, try and do jab steps, try and set, you know, back screens and stuff so they could get backdoor cuts to get into the lane. Duke's defensive discipline was unbelievably impressive. They they stayed with those guys remarkably well. I don't recall, I, I may have missed it. I don't recall tech getting a single one of those back doors and making it successful. The other thing was every time they sort of would, would try it and, and begin to get close to it, Duke had the bigs who were able to drop back and protect the rim. And, and, you know, like I said earlier, I think, I think tech was afraid at times of, of going into the lane and, and getting to the rim. But I, I thought Duke's communication was incredibly good um, on, on defense. I also just want to shout out one guy. I thought Kyle Filipowski, you know, he he's guarding a much smaller player in this game. That's, that's the case for him virtually every game. And it's easy to see that as an advantage. It's a great advantage on offense on defense. It could be a disadvantage. But Filipowski's ability to move his feet and stay in front of smaller players is just an unbelievable asset for this team. It's something that he's going to be able to translate to the next level of basketball. And it's something that I don't think any of us expected to get from him. There were a number of times in this game where I saw him doing that, and it was really, really impressive. Last really quick thing on the defense, and then I'll wrap it up with that. I noted at one point, Tech had 31 points after 28 minutes of game time. I want to repeat that. Donald, you talked about the 12-minute timeout. They had 31 points through 28 minutes. That is not good. You cannot win that way. And Josh Pashner said in the postgame press conference, he was like, I've, to I've told the team many, many times in the ACC, 70. 70 is the amount. you got to get to 70 to win games. Really hard to win games in the 60s. And he looks down at the at the score sheet in front of the box board. He goes, we didn't even get to 50. <laughs> yeah, look, the you know, if you think about the first part of the game, the very first possession of the game, you know, I know we're going to switch the offense for a little bit, but Jeremy Roach hits a three, comes back down. Georgia Tech has the ball for the first time. And who was it that made the big play? It was Kyle Filipowski swatting something into the like third row uh, of the gym. Then we come back down, Roach hits another three. And at that point, it just felt like, okay, if we're going to be doing this all day, then it's going to be a long day for Georgia Tech. Kyle Filipowski was affecting both ends of the court, but it was defense that I was really surprised about how much he influenced the game because, again, he set the tone from the very beginning. I also, you know, as we shift to uh, back to Sam on the offense, I think the one thing I wanted to note is that the ball movement was incredible yesterday. You know, just having the number of people moving the ball around. There was one sequence where it felt like everybody on the floor touched the ball twice and it ended up with a, with a three-pointer. Like those sort of movement plays where – Again, it, it felt like, you know, if, if you if you watch hockey, a lot of times you see just guys like passing around on a power play and all of a sudden it just feels like the defense can't do anything about it. That's what it felt like for Georgia Tech at times. It looked like Georgia Tech was just lost out there because of the fact that we were able to move the ball around on offense and get the shots that we wanted. Even if we didn't make them, which we made a lot of them, we were still able to get, you know, effective shots and play, you know, really effective on offense. And I think that, you know, that's just backbreakers, especially after the fact that when you're going down and you're missing all these shots on defense or, or you know, on offense for Georgia Tech, they're coming back and giving up every single shot on offense. And I, I know for them, it was a long day at the office. You know, uh, Donald, John Shire in the postgame talked about the ball movement and, and you know, these these zingy quick passes, uh, tic-tac-toe, they kind of call them, you know, where you bip, 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 uh, really fast passes. And, and he said... The Dukes played this way in spurts, but this is the first time that they've done that for the full 40 minutes. And, you know, it, it was just, it was fun to watch that and, and watch how successful that was. Uh, it was like Duke would go, you know, with those passes, they'd go from, we have no shot. We have a bad shot. We have a good shot. We have a great shot. 
that each one of those passes elevated our percentages of having a basket each time. And we didn't stop passing the ball until we got to the great shot. And that's how, you know, this Duke team ended up hitting like 55% from the field, which is a, a big, big number for them. I haven't, I haven't looked, I should have done the research to tell that might be Duke's best all year, certainly against a power five opponent. That's probably the best that we've been all season. Um, and, and part of that ball movement is assists. We ended up with 24 assists on 34 baskets. That's a 70% assist percentage. Just so folks can compare that, the national average is 51%. So Duke was well above average in terms of their assist number. And it could have been even higher. The final few buckets that Duke made were Jaden Shute and Jalen Blake's driving. Um, that was just sort of the, the the nature of the end of the game, a kind of frenetic, a little more open game. And it doesn't lend itself to passing quite as much. Um, but I, I mean, the, the, with the regulars in there throughout most of the game, Duke's assist percentage was like 80 plus percent. It was really impressive. And that ball movement, as you said, Jason, I think some of the best that we've seen from Duke this season. To the same point about how the defense seems to be evolving. The offense felt much evolved in this game from, from where Duke's been, even in its most recent games, the three point shoot, you talked about the shooting. I wanted to highlight specifically the three point shooting. Jeremy Roach has one of his best games shooting the basketball. He's four for seven from three and he hits two right at the beginning to set the tone. I think that, you know, there was like a, a little moment towards the end of the first half when it felt like Georgia tech still had a chance to make a small run and then keep the game close at halftime. And, but like, other than that, it felt basically out of hand the whole game. And the reason that that happened is that Duke made a few more three-pointers than they usually do. Almost 40% from three last night for Duke. They're nine for 23. And if you take out Jaden shoots misses, I don't know if you want, you know, like. Well, I know wait, why would I, you do that? <laughs> we can, I don't know how much we can, we can monkey with the, uh, with the numbers here, given that we sort of hope that Jaden shoot is maybe going to play a few more minutes and make a few buckets for Duke. But if you take those out, Duke is almost 50% uh from or it, yeah almost 50 percent from three so a uh, really impressive shooting night you hope that duke hasn't wasted too many of their makes uh given that given that's been such a struggle this season but maybe it's a sign of a turnaround admit it it's still in a small sample for me i think the three-point shooting really helped but i thought it was the two-point shooting where we really you know were you know sending backbreakers to georgia tech because we hit almost two-thirds of them and I've talked during the season, we've talked about, you know, how poorly we've been shooting from the floor. And a lot of that has to do with we're missing bunnies. We're missing shots around the rim. Well, we weren't doing that yesterday. You know, we were hitting layups. You know, we had a few alley-oops. We had uh, that Mark Mitchell dunk at the start of the second half that um, I, I think they're still shook up about because they had to call a timeout and immediately just sit down and just think about what happened for the whole TV timeout because it was that, but it was that yamlicious. I, I think those sort of plays – Again, help the confidence that you're going to take threes and shoot them. I mean, Derek, like 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 we mentioned, Derek Lively has an alley oop, comes back, attempts a three pointer because he has that kind of confidence. Yeah, he misses it, but the next time he comes back down, another alley oop. And and I think inside the paint, you can say what you want about the three point shooting. You always want it to be effective, and you always want to shoot around forty percent or above forty percent. That'd be great. But shooting over sixty percent from two is where you need to be as a team. And we were, again, shooting all, you know 66% from the floor yesterday uh, from two-pointers. And that is always going to help you put points on the board because you're that means you're getting to the basket, you're making baskets, and in the process, you're getting fouled. We hit a lot of free throws yesterday, and I think we're 9 for 15 
you know, Georgia Tech only went to the line six times. So again, you're winning that battle. You're winning the indoor battle. You're winning the three-point battle. Ain't nobody stopping you if you can do that. Sam, you talked about Jeremy Roach hitting those three-pointers in the post-game press conference. Uh, John Shire, by the way, I almost said Coach K. <laughs> John Shire. I think- you talk about him. There is a, there's a, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Jason, I think there was a moment last night when Randolph Childress almost mentioned Coach K inadvertently. Like, I think he started talking. He said Mike at one point. Like, he was he like, said so, Mike, I was talking yeah. something about Mike. And I was, and I could feel him go, Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to say Mike Krzyzewski anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, John Shire in the post game press conference. First of all, they, they brought in Jeremy Roach. Roach was the, the one player who uh, came in to, to speak to the media which is a sign of how how much Shire thought Roach played really, really well. But Shire said something fascinating, which I, I think people need to hear. He said that early in the year, there was no one to make Jeremy Roach better. And that recently, and especially in this game, Tyrese Proctor was there to make Jeremy Roach better. And that having someone else handling the ball, doing dis, uh, distributing, looking for him, makes Jeremy Roach into a better player. I thought that was fascinating and we should talk for a moment about proctor's game uh because i thought he had an outstanding contest Uh, he he had two early assists to jeremy roach for three pointers that opened up the game for duke and uh, you know again it was i thought he made great passes both times to find roach for a wide open three when you hit early threes and then you start and and that opens things up and then you start going inside and having that passing that we talked about getting, you know, buckets in the lane around the, around the basket. And then you sprinkle in some offensive rebounds because lively was doing such a great job of that. Well, that's how you, that's how you score 86 points. It's, you know, not a tough formula to figure out, but I really thought Proctor was in complete control in this game. He was making sick passes just all over the floor. Um, I, I can't even count how many times, Steve Wiseman and I said to each other, God, that was a beautiful pass. Oh, that was just a great pass. Proctor ends the game with eight assists and zero turnovers. I mean, marinate on that for a moment. I'll take that from my point guard anytime. That's a that's a really great. There was a moment. So he was at eight assists and zero turnovers, and it was late in the game. He was about to come out, and he tried to pass. I want to say it was to Ryan Young. I forget who it was to. It got deflected. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to be his first turnover. And, and there was like a scramble for the ball. The ball ended up going out of bounds, and Duke ended up retaining possession. I went, nope, no turnover. Yay! <laughs> but that was like the only mistake that Tyrese Proctor made in this entire game. That was the second game that he's had this year where he's kind of had, you know, a high assist uh, number with no turnover. So uh, good on for him for doing that. Also, just real quick, I know we, we've done a lot of good. I want to shout out the bench, uh, namely Ryan Young and Jacob Granison, both at double figures off of the bench. Uh, you know, leading to us just absolutely destroying them and bench points. I think the fact that Ryan Young has, you know, kind of, you know, went from the starting role in this game to the bench role and still being able to produce, you know, a point a minute, I, I think is great. And also Jacob Granison also contributing. I wanted to shout him out because he, he doesn't, uh, we've hadn't had many games this year where Jacob Granison has provided a lot of scoring output. So I want to shout out him because I thought he played really well uh, in a reserve role off the bench. Guys, let's take a quick break. Uh, On the other side, of course, we need to talk about the limited bad from this game. And I do want to talk a bit more about Jaden Shute, who I think is the the subject of the most speculation among Duke fans for guys who basically don't ever get off the bench except in blowouts. So we will be right back.
We are back. And Jason, I want to talk a bit more about Jaden Shoot because he played a few more minutes in this game. Uh, doesn't make a three, as we <laughs> talked about briefly uh, in the prior section. He goes over three from three, but he does have a couple drives to the basket and uh, was playing not just in the in the obvious blowout time, but he got minutes even in the first half. So what were you seeing from Jaden Shute yesterday, and 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 what is it a sign of, if anything, in his development? Yeah, it was very interesting. So with 11.53 left in the first half, uh, there was a TB timeout, you know, the under-12 TB timeout. And as I was watching Duke in the huddle, you guys were watching commercials. I was watching the Duke huddle. I saw uh, Chris Carowell go up to Jaden Shute, you know, on the periphery of the huddle, say something to him, and then, you know, like – like rub his shoulders a little bit. And then I saw Emil Jefferson lean over and, and like give shoot a fist bump. And like, they were nodding, they were clearly doing something. And I saw shoot starting to stretch his legs out. It was clear that they said, you're coming in in the next segment, get ready. And so I was like, Oh, wow. and by the way, if you follow me on Twitter, I was like, Jaden shoots about to come in the game. I'm like, it's about, about to happen. In fact, it was sort of funny. Someone replied to me. They're like, they're like, wait, he's not in yet. I'm like, trust me, give me two minutes. He's coming in the game. And uh, so shoot went and sat back down on the bench after that. And uh, after about a minute of play or so, I saw John Shire lean over on the bench, shout something down the bench. I saw Jaden shoot take off his warm up. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> next TV timeout, this is happening. Or next timeout, this is happening. And he came in with 926 left in the game. I want to be clear about something because it's really easy to look at this game and go, oh, Jaden shoot played you know, 12, 13 minutes in a 43 point blowout and think that they weren't meaningful minutes. When he came in for the first time, again, with 926 left in the game, the score was 22 to 16. It was a six point game. That's like the closest the game was the entire, the entire night. It was, this was not a matter of Jaden shoot coming into a game when Duke was blowing a team out and where it was obvious that we were going to get a win. We were on the road at an ACC opponent in a six point game. That's a very competitive contest. And they turned to Jaden Shute. Yes, he missed his three-pointers. And by the way, I think it's kind of, it's good for John Shire that Jaden Shute missed his three-pointers. Can you imagine if he'd come in the game and buried two three-pointers right away? I think that the Duke fans would have gone crazy on Shire. Like, why weren't you playing this guy earlier? Oh my God, we've been struggling from three. So I think it's kind of, it's kind of good for, for Shire that shoot didn't come in and immediately light it up. Now I, I'd love for shoot to light it up in future games. Cause I think he's maybe played his way into having a real chance here uh, of, of contributing to the team, especially the, during the time where Derek Whitehead is out, but I thought he looked very, very good. He looked like he belonged. He did not get lost on defense at all, which has been everyone's concerned about him. And the three pointers he took were shots that, that were good shots. And it looks like the kind of shot he's going to make very, very often. I guess we should, this is probably a good place to get to where I asked John Shire about Jaden shoot in the post-game press conference. I actually asked him about both Derek Lively and Jaden shoot uh, because I thought those two guys and, and their, their roles on the team being, you know, I mentioned lively moving back into a starter's role shoot, obviously moving into the regular rotation. I thought that was one of the big stories of this game. So let's have a listen really quick to what I asked John Shire and what he had to say about Derek Lively and Jaden shoot. You were just mentioning Derek Lively. Can you talk about the decision to move him into the starting lineup and also talk about the decision to get Jaden shoot into the game yeah. earlier than we've seen him mostly? Well, first with Derek, uh, 
I've seen and we have seen as a staff the last two weeks, he's had a different level of confidence, uh, what he's done on the court. I mean, you know, Virginia Tech game I thought was pretty good. Miami game in this game, I mean, he really changed the game. And, you know, it's, it's not always going to translate with points because he's, he's a threat. So when he's on the court, you can see the, the way the defense adjusts, especially in pick and roll. So for us, uh, Ryan has been so solid. We need him to stay ready for us, and he's going he's gonna to be in there. But for Derek, we just feel like it's a time where he's really he's – it's like he's on a launching pad right now. And he's got a chance to take off, and today uh, really was the start of it. With Jaden, he's been working every day. He's been working every day, and we have good players. And, you know, he's – Improved. I've been able to see that throughout the course of the year. He's kept a great attitude, even though nobody likes not playing. Like that's, you shouldn't like not playing. But he stayed ready, and you know I thought he gave some really good minutes today. You know, didn't hit a three, but I thought each one that he took was going in. And I've seen that many times in practice. So he, different guys need to step up. We've had some injuries and things like that, and uh, you know, really proud of both those guys for just staying with it and working. All right, so. Obviously, I, I love the fact that that John Shire said that uh, uh, Derek Lively feels like he's on a launching pad right now. That's that's pretty exciting for Duke fans in a big, big way. Uh, I and I I like that he talked about Jaden Shute being a guy who has improved throughout the season. Uh, it, it sounds to me, it feels to me like Shute has earned a a spot in the rotation. And I think what Shire was saying about Shute's attitude about it was was a real positive as well but i just thought you know returning to Jaden shoot which was our main point in all of this i, I uh, you know sort of like shire said i feel like it, it looked like he belonged and he contributed to the team even though he didn't hit three pointers and that's a big deal so jason i not i'm not trying to throw cold water on what you just said about Jaden shoot because i appreciate that Jaden shoot got a lot of time yesterday and that I, again other than the fact that he missed the threes i thought he looked like he was playing pretty well. I think all of this is is still capped by the major question of when will Dariq Whitehead come back? And it seems like, you know, even when we talked about his injury the other day, right before the game, that the prognosis has improved for Dariq Whitehead and that it might be that he could return sooner rather than later. I, I think they're going to hold him out to be precautious, but the fact that they diagnosed it as a strain is a lot better than what we were thinking of, uh, you know, a few days ago or even, you know, four to eight hours ago. So I think when it comes to Jaden shoot, the question will be, how can he continue to improve? And then also how does he continue to carve out these minutes? You know, when Derek Whitehead returns to the lineup, because I think Derek will start probably when he returns, he'll start on the bench and then try to work his way back into the starting lineup. But those are minutes that are going to be up, that are going to be up for competition. And I think Jaden just needs to keep, you know, keep his head down, keep shooting, and you know, keep playing the way he did yesterday because I think again he's going to build himself up from there. I just don't want to think that we're going to see Jaden shoot come off the bench and, and score and play for twenty minutes in the next couple of games. I want to see how he's going to do when Tariq Whitehead gets back to the lineup. The other unknown here, Donald, is is what John Shire wants his rotation to look like in terms of like mm-hmm. number of guys that are playing and, and minutes. We know that Coach K would always try to trim his his bench down to maybe one or two guys uh, who are coming off the bench in, you know, in, in competitive, important games. It's not clear yet that Shire has a philosophy on that. And so, 
yes, I agree with you that we won't really know the outcome of of the Jaden shoot development story while Whitehead is out. That being said, uh, even even with other guys hurt, and I know that you know Roach and Lively are not really uh, directly stand-ins for for Jaden Shoot. They obviously play different positions, but uh, it's not like Shoot was getting a lot of minutes even in the in the other injuries that we've had. You know, Jeremy Roach is out for a few games earlier this month. Jaden Shoot doesn't play any meaningful minutes, so it, I, I think John Shire will find minutes for guys that are ready. And what was curious to me is that he you know is that it happened sort of all at once yesterday but to it to you know what he said to Jason in the post game a lot of that is happening out of sight for us so uh, mm-hmm. we don't know yet and and it's possible depending on how long it takes whitehead to get back that we won't really know what duke's true rotation is until we're right at the end of the regular season or even into the postseason i do worry that this will sort of feel like a a lost opportunity for duke this year because injuries have have now sapped Duke's ability to to click as a team in a way that like even if even if Whitehead comes back in a few weeks, which, by the way, is astounding to me that that's going to happen. But even if that happens, it means that Duke isn't really going to get full strength time with the whole team altogether until late February. And it's not you know, what we remember during the during the Kyrie season that the the challenge for Duke wasn't that Kyrie didn't end up coming back healthy. It's that he didn't come back healthy with enough time to reintegrate and figure out how everything was going to work. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to shoot, right, like the fact that everything that we're hearing about him is just that we're hearing about him. I think the the I guess the for fans, the you know, the one thing that we have is the air of uncertainty, but still the hope and promise, because all we're hearing about is what may or may not be going on during practice. And we want to see that behind, you know, on the floor during games. And I think the, when it comes to shoot, I think we're going to see more and more of him over the coming weeks. I just don't know how much we are, but I think at the end of the day, that promise and that hope is what we all kind of hang our head on and what we cling to, because I think we all think that he can change the game. If he can come in and get hot from beyond the arc. I just hope that we get the opportunity to see him continue to develop when all these pieces are together, but he may not be competing for Derek Whitehead for minutes. It might be he's competing with Jacob Grandison for some of the Jalen Blakes. I think Jalen Blakes and is the Jalen Blakes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I actually think, look, I know it's not quite the end of January yet. I, I feel like we've seen, we've seen enough to know that John Shire is not going to shrink his bench in the way that coach K did. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on that, but it, it just feels to me like, I mean, we're pretty far into the ACC season at this point. Usually Coach K has already gone into shrink mode at this point. And the fact that Shire really hasn't says to me that he wants to make more use of the bench. Now, look, part of that may be our personnel this year. It may be that, you know, there there aren't guys who who it screams to you, this guy must be on the floor every single minute of the game. And that there are, you know, there are five or six guys who who it feels like are just light years ahead of everybody else. You know, maybe that that that's just the case with this team, and that in future years, John Shire has has teams that have different talent levels like that, and that he he adopts more of a Coach K's philosophy of of only playing his top you know six six and a half seven players. But it 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 just doesn't. I don't think that's going to happen on this team. And then the last thing I wanted to mention, you guys were talking about Drake Whitehead. John Shire in the post game said. It's, you know, it's worth noting that Whitehead was on the floor with the team. Um, you know, like he wasn't like doing the layup line, 
but he was he was walking around a little bit with with the guys before the game and Shire said you know he hasn't been able to do more than that in practice but he's getting there and Shire also noted he was like he was very clear Whitehead's not going to play in games until he has played in practice they're not going to roll him out there until he is really ready and which I think is probably the right thing to do and they said on the broadcast that he was shooting flat-footed uh, right. I, I don't know if you that's what you saw in the pregame but right. uh, I, I I would like to continue to register my astonishment that that is the case given what appeared to be the severity of the injury that this is like the you know Paul Pierce getting carried out and then and then returning to continue playing in the finals uh not yeah. maybe not quite at that level but but it feels like that where usually Duke is like oh what a minor injury I it appears that that guy is now out for three months so uh what a what a strange turn of fortune guys let's do a very quick review of the bad to the extent that there was any Donald did you have uh, notes on the bad from this game. Uh, I think I'm being very nitpicky here because there, I don't think there really was any bad. I think, you know, keep the intensity for 40 minutes. We did well on the road. I know it's been difficult for us to get uh, road victories this year, and it's been difficult to maintain uh, a, a air of intensity and urgency, a sense of urgency when we play on the road. And I think we need to continue to do that for 40 minutes and, and try and build up towards that. We didn't get all the way there. I think there were times where we kind of, let our foot off the gas in the first half a little bit before we decided, okay, it's time to really just get up out of here with a victory. Uh, but I do think that intensity is something I want to see is continue to hold for 40 minutes, especially when we're on the road. My bad is pretty simple. And, and I hate to do this to this guy. I thought Mark Mitchell really struggled at times. Um, he does not score well through contact. There were, uh, we've mentioned this in recent games. There were just a number of times where, the defense is paying a lot of attention to other guys and Mark Mitchell is able to get into the lane, get to the rim. And uh, he, first of all, he has a little bit of tunnel vision when he does that, when he's rim running, he he doesn't really, he doesn't seems like he doesn't see the defense coming to him. So he's able to dish to someone with a better chance. He tries to finish himself and he's just not great at that yet. Duke was only 10 of 19 on layups in this game. That's, you should do better on layups than 10 of 19. And I'll be clear, those are contested. It's not like wide open layups. But a lot of that was Mark Mitchell attempting shots, you know, inside of, you know, five feet and and being challenged and contested by by Georgia Tech. You know, that the, one thing the, the only bad I the only bad I have is that Mark Mitchell could have been better. Uh so it was Jason, a pretty good game. One of the comments that you missed on the broadcast is there is one point in the second half where uh, Randolph Childress said, you know, Mark Mitchell just does every little thing right. And I thought to myself, is, is that right? I, I don't know if that no, statement is true. I think so. there, there are lots of things to like about Mark Mitchell. I don't know that he does every little thing right, but that's okay. Uh, sometimes sometimes the announcers just say things, which, you know, they have to, they have to fill all that airtime. Speaking of filling airtime, uh, I think that's it for this game. Guys, I want to wrap today, of course. Because wait, wait, wait. It is the- Favorite play, Sam. I'm... I'm getting to that. I wanted. To, oh, I guess that that is part of the That's game. Part of the game. The, I thought you were, not the week. I thought you were <laughs> <All right>. moving <laughs> on. Fine. <laughs> I was going to do the, our our play of the game and then our player of the week. So the play of the game, I suppose, is the is the wrap on the game. So Donald, what was your play of the game from uh, from Duke's win against Georgia Tech? Okay, there were several. There were several uh, candidates for this. Uh, there was the alley from Proctor Lively in the second half. That you know that was followed up by another one from Lively. I was going to say which one. Which Mark which, Mitchell had a couple of yams in the second half. 
Jalen Blake's had the block and the fast break layup for the and one with about a minute 45 left in the game. Yeah, by the way, that I, that Jalen Blake's when he you block a three-pointer, take the ball, go down, hit a layup and get fouled and make your own three-pointer. Huge play. That would have been play of the game in any game, but we were leading by 40 at the time. <laughs> no, the reason why that's not the play of the game is because my play of the game is Derek Lively made a three-pointer, ladies and gentlemen. Derek Lively made a three-pointer. That is my play of the game. Donald, you took the words right out of my mouth, right? There, there are so many cool things. Like, for all the amazing passing that we saw in this game, and I kind of hope that Jason picks one of the plays with the amazing passing, but for all the amazing passing, the fact that Derek Lively is now hitting a three-pointer, like, every every team has to be seeing that on tape and being like, shoot, oh, I, I, hope that is, I hope that is not exactly, like, I, I hope that's not a pattern. I hope that's not something we're about to see because Duke becomes a lot more difficult to defend if Derek Lively is able to even hit you know, 30% of his three-point shots, which he which he is not at yet, but but he may get there. Jason, what did you have? So uh, I'm going to disappoint you. I did not have one of those amazing passing plays, although there were plenty of them. My favorite play, this is going to seem insane. With 19 minutes and 14 seconds left in the first half, I want to repeat that. With only... 30, in the first minute sorry, of the game. Yeah, uh, of the, no, of the first half with only, yeah, with only 46 seconds gone. In the game, Georgia Tech drives for a bucket at the rim. They kind of broke down the Duke defense a little bit. And Kyle Filipowski, as Donald said, swatted it into the third row. Now, why is that my favorite play? First of all, it's because I'm sitting on press row and you're supposed to be, you know, quiet and you don't you, you don't cheer on any team. I couldn't help myself. I was like, whoa, when that I was like, oh, my God, I, I became somewhat demonstrative. When that happened, which is not what you're supposed to do in press row. And I apologize to any press people near me who may have been like, what is that guy doing? Uh, but I could not. I think, Jason, I think you're allowed to I think you're allowed to react. I think you're yeah. just not allowed to support. Right. It, uh, there's it, a, it was, there's, it's not a big deal. Believe me. Real, you, you can say, real. wow. <laughs> <laughs> in any event, the reason that's my play of the game is because it absolutely set the tone for Duke playing great defense, protecting the rim and giving Georgia Tech nothing easy. I mean, yeah. We played great on offense in this game, and we spent a lot of time talking about that offense. But boy, I thought our defense and our the way we controlled the paint was the story of the game. And it all began with 19 minutes and 14 seconds left in the first half when Kyle Filipowski said, uh-uh, you're not getting to the rim easy at all ever in this game. So let's do our players of the week now. Duke has uh, one close loss against Virginia Tech, a game in which I think we pointed out a lot of positives in addition to the struggles. Duke has one blowout win against Georgia Tech, one of its, you know, one of its biggest wins in, in program history, especially on the road. So, Jason, give me your player of the week. I think it has to be Kyle Filipowski. Uh, he was, you know, we may forget because it was several days ago. He was absurd, ridiculous against Virginia Tech. Uh, remember, that's the game he has 29 points. He has 10 rebounds. He he collected some impressive assists. He, he wasn't quite as dominant against, against Georgia Tech, but he was, you know, he was great. He was our leading scorer with 18 points. Very efficient. Did it on six of nine field goal shooting. Uh, only seven rebounds, which is a, a small number for him. I think he was letting Derek Lively grab all the rebounds in this game. Um, blocked a couple shots. I already discussed that first one. He drew five fouls, by the way. Like he got fouled a lot in this game. He was drawing fouls from Georgia Tech. Filipowski has absolutely elevated his game over the past, I don't know, couple weeks or so. 
it, it felt like he'd hit a wall and he was struggling and he is no longer struggling. I think he is clearly, you know, first of all, he's locked to be ACC rookie of the year at this point. And I think he looks like he's probably on the all ACC first team. If I, if I had to guess at this point, and I thought he was easily Duke's best player this week. So he's my player of the week. I'll give Derek Lively the the play of the game because of the three-pointer, but I totally agree with you, Jason, that the the best player for Duke this week and the best player for Duke this season continues to be Kyle Filipowski. He appears to have busted right through that freshman wall, which he seemed to be hitting early in, in January, and that is a great sign of development. Like this is a this is a player now that we don't even really have to worry about game to game. There are there are moments of of greatness from Jeremy Roach, but every game is like what kind of Jeremy Roach are we going to get? And and there are lots of players like that in recent history for Duke. Kyle Filipowski feels about as automatic as any of the the recent amazing freshmen. I, you know, he doesn't have as many highlights as Apollo Bancaro or a Zion Williamson or an RJ Barrett, but he is playing, you know, in, in terms of his output, just as good as as any of those guys. Donald, are you going to make it three for three for Kyle Filipowski? So, guys, I've been giving you know, this most weeks to Kyle Filipowski for his offense. So I decided to switch it up a bit this week. I'm going to give it to Kyle Filipowski for his defense uh, because I think the, I love it. The, the, <laughs> I, I think the thing about it is, you know, weeks ago, like three weeks ago, he mentioned that, Hey, like at the start of ACC season, he was like, Hey, I need to get more physical because the ACC is way more physical than I thought it would be. And he was talking about the offense, but he's also stepped it up physically on defense as well. Jason, you mentioned the play at the start of the game. It set the tone, but he also was physical and making sure that guys, he he wants to alter shots too. He wants to block shots too. And he wants to be a presence on both ends of the floor. And, he's, and you can tell he's working on that and, and honing in on that. And, and even when guys in the ACC, when teams come in, they are looking to try and stop Kyle Filipowski and he is not letting them do it on either end of the floor. So um, that was more, more apparent this week than ever. His defense has really stepped up along with his offense. That's why he's getting my player. Early. You know, I don't know it, that it's a great comparison. We were just talking about flip and saying, Oh, Paulo and Zion and RJ. I actually th tell me guys, what do you think about this one? I think Vernon Carey may be a little bit of a better comparison. Um, you know, in terms of their output, in terms of their role on the team, Flip maybe is a little bigger role than Vernon Carey. Not much, but, you know, like their, their stats are fairly similar. Vernon Carey, just to remind folks, 17.8 points per game, 8.8 .8 rebounds per game, and and 1.6 blocks per game. That That's not, you know, entirely different from what we've seen thus far this season from Kyle Filipowski. I, I just, you know, I, I don't want Flip to feel, I don't want people to feel like, oh my God, comparing him to, player of the year candidates like Paulo and Zion and RJ that that's a big hill to climb. Uh, but I think comparing him to a guy like Vernon Carey in terms of the role on the team, I, I like that. But I think the difference between flip and those other guys you just mentioned is that those other guys entered college with the target on their back already. And Kyle has basically yep. taken the target and put it on his own back through his play. Yeah, I mean, Jason, it's totally fair from the perspective of like Kyle Filipowski is not likely to be a first team All-American the way that those guys either were or or were sort of on track to be. But 
in terms of how much he means to this team. I I, I think that the, the carry comparison is good. They're, they don't have similar games in that Filipowski is more comfortable, like going out and shooting. Uh, and, and there are a lot of sort of aspects of, of uh, their post games that, that kind of differ, but I, I like the way I like the way you're going with that. So that will do it here. We will be back soon to preview Duke's uh, return game against Wake Forest. Of course, Duke lost to Wake Forest in Winston a few weeks ago. They get the return game in Cameron this Tuesday. And then just in case you haven't been paying attention to the schedule. So Duke has that Wake Forest game. It means a lot for the Blue Devils, not just because it's another ACC game, but because Duke wants to avenge that loss. Speaking of avenging losses... Duke hosts North Carolina on Saturday in the first matchup uh, with UNC in the John Shire era. Then they have to turn around very quickly and play at Miami, which is going to be another tough game. Another one where, uh, you know, where where Duke has a win at home, but it was a it was a tight competitive game. So that game in Coral Gables will be tough. And then at the end of that weekend, Duke goes to Virginia to play the team that has been probably the best performing ACC team through this season. So we are in a key stretch for Duke, not just in terms of look, they, they need more ACC wins to remain competitive in the conference, but these are the the measuring sticks that are coming up. The UNC, you know, basically a, a NCAA tournament-type turnaround to get to the Miami game and then an extremely tough opponent in Virginia. Uh, that that gauntlet, UNC, and then a Saturday-Monday turnaround for at Miami, that's we, – we, when we saw the ACC schedule come out, we were like, okay, well, that's, that's brutal. Uh, and then – to have the game at Virginia that next weekend in a span of seven days, you're playing probably the three best teams in the ACC. I mean, no offense to Clemson and NC state and some of the other and Pittsburgh for that matter, you know, teams that played well. I feel like if you ask people, you know, be honest with me, who are the three best teams outside of Duke in the ACC, North Carolina, Miami, Virginia are probably the names that, that are coming up for the most part to have those back to back to back like that, especially with one on a Saturday, Monday road turnaround. I mean, God, that is is really going to be tough, and we're going to talk a lot about it over the next you know ten to fourteen days. So with that, uh, don't forget to stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail Got a lot of good headlines from this week, and so we we look forward to hearing more from you. For Jason Evans and Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode four hundred eighty-two of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. 